Welcome to the Evan Roberts Podcast, Hell in a Cell Retrospective. And joining me is my fellow wrestling historian making his 47th appearance on the Evan Roberts Podcast. He is the host of his very own podcast, Dennis Has a Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at... Come Dennis. On. Oh, come on. You know. Come at on. D-Hap Show. There you go. And that's my good buddy, Dennis. Thanks for doing this with me, pal. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you, brother. All right. Let's be honest with the audience right now. <laughs> I, I had mentioned this in a previous podcast that we had attempted to record this from a Met game. And, and my thinking was, as you're listening to this podcast, the Hell in a Cell retrospective, the Met season is over. And it would be kind of cool to hear the ambiance of Met baseball in the background. It happened. It did. Dennis and I went to a Met game. In fact, it was Jacob deGrom's final start of the year in which he, I think, locked up the Cy Young. I set up a recording device, and me and Dennis throughout the game talked about Hell in a Cell. The problem was the audio of it was <laughs> unlistenable. And I have learned from my mistake from that 90210 Beach podcast that it's sort of important to have audio that's audible. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is I took clips from <laughs> that fake show we did and sprinkled throughout this podcast. You will hear Dennis and I attempt to talk professional wrestling <laughs> at a Met game. Now, before we started that, you brought up a very interesting point. You said, hey, Evan, aren't people going to think we're weird that we're recording a podcast about wrestling in the middle of a Met game? Would you agree that that part wasn't actually weird? It wasn't weird. I was worried we were going to be intruding on other people's experiences. But where we were, we're in the back of a section. And to be honest, no one cared. Yeah. So if we, if we were in your normal seats and we're in the front of a section, right. I think the people behind us at the let's say six minute mark would have been like, listen, we love the midday show. I don't want to hear any more of this wrestling nonsense. Yeah. But here's the way I looked at it. We were just literally talking wrestling. It didn't sound as if we were doing a podcast. I mean, it was normally we go to Met games. We talk about things. And so I think it was the same, same aspect. We were just talking about it. I don't think it ever felt as if we were hosting a podcast. The idea of doing it, doing a podcast as a thing, yeah. as a conversation, a great idea. If we were watching a game on TV, I think it would have been a blast. But with all the background noise, the the clapping, the the <laughs> the, the kiss, whatever, with all the other stuff that's going on in the background, you, you, we were sitting next to each other and we were screaming yeah, for half of it. Yeah, and I think so. What I did is I cut five clips from this attempted podcast and sprinkled throughout this real Hell in a Cell retrospective, in which the audio quality is a little bit clearer. <laughs> we will take you into our experience, including Pete Alonso hitting his fifty-first home run. He hit his fifty-first home run during Jacob DeGrom's start while we were talking about Hell in a Cell and we reacted to that. There's also another big moment, because remember the Mets scored a bunch of runs in that game? Didn't they score like three in the first and four in the second, yeah, I think? Yeah. So there was a lot of offense going on while we were trying to talk wrestling. But let us play before we start talking Hell in a Cell our very first clip, and that is because we knew, hey, in between innings, it's going to be tough. They're going to play music. There's going to be loud sounds. <laughs> we figured that as soon as a half inning was over, we would pause. And our cue to do that would be a little jingle, kind of like the old WFAN, let's go, Mets, F-A-N, doo-doo-doo. We decided to create our very own jingle. And so this is from City Field, Jacob DeGrom's final start. 
the Hell in a Cell jingle that we created. Take a listen. Let's go, Mets. Hell in a Cell. I mean, that's not bad. It's kind of creative, right? I mean, everything we've done, we just use that same jingle. Thank God you were under the CBS banner again. (laughs) Now, I'll give you one more clip before we get started. This was the epitome of why we couldn't air this in its entirety. This is us talking about Hell in a Cell while, and I, I guess this is boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. You know how they play that during a Met yeah, game? Not Cole Cabana. No, the Let's uh, Go Mets. <laughs> right. Here's how that sounded. Cell was very tightly up against the, uh, the barrier. Yes. Uh, so it just felt super awkward. Uh, but it was a fun, a fun popcorn match. And, you know, it, it did the whole WCW thing where, oh, uh, you know, we're out of time. I love how you're just, you're so committed. Oh, powering through. <laughs> You really are. I had a point to make, and I was going to make it. Do you remember what the point was? I have no idea. Something about WCW. Anyhow, let's start from the beginning. Here are the rules for our Hell in a Cell retrospective podcast. We're not talking about the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, um, because that's what, to me, cheapened the Hell in a Cell. The Hell in a Cell was a gimmick that was created in 1997, and for about 11 years, the WWE would use the Hell in a Cell either in a rematch or just some big match that they had at various pay-per-views. Sometimes it would happen at a Survivor Series. It would happen at a SummerSlam. It happened at Bad Blood many times. It even would happen at a WrestleMania. There were 16 Hell in a Cell matches before the pay-per-view started, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. And then there have been two more since at non-Hell in a Cell pay-per-views. So, for example, Undertaker-Shane McMahon was a Hell in a Cell match long after the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view took place. So we will go through those 18 Hell in a Cell matches. Does this all make sense? Makes sense to me. All right. Let's get this bad boy started with the first ever Hell in a Cell. That would be Bad Blood 1997, The Undertaker against Shawn Michaels. It's absolutely tremendous. The debut of Kane uh, ripping off the cell door. Uh, lots of blood. Lots of both guys bled out pretty, pretty darn bad. Uh an incredible match. Sean took a ton of offense, came back, laid in a ton of offense. For a guy like The Undertaker, who's a legit six foot ten, and a guy like Shawn Michaels, who's probably about five ten, you think those guys wouldn't work well together, but they worked well together for what, 20 years or 15 years, however long it was. Uh, for a first Hell in a Cell match, it was pretty damn did, good. Did you like the concept? Because this was the first time we'd ever seen a Hell in a Cell match, and Sean and The Undertaker were having a rematch. They had fought one month earlier at whatever the September pay-per-view was. There was no clear winner to it, and then they brought up this whole angle of, it's going to be Hell in a Cell. I think at first they called it something else, Hell in Hell in the Cell, Hell in a Cell, Hell in, hell in the, the Cell, cell right. Hell in a Cell, whatever they called it. Because to me, my first reaction was, this is sort of like a cage match, but not really. And then, remember, in the first ever match, they climbed to the top. So they whipped out that aspect of it right out of the gate. So before the match ever took place, I was skeptical. I thought it was a bootleg steel cage match. But the match was great. It was bloody. I remember the image of Shawn Michaels being rammed into the cage with the bloody face. And obviously, you brought it up at the top. It was Kane's debut, which ultimately was what that was all about. But did you like the gimmick right out of the gate? Well, it reminds you of like it was a like a territory style kind of thing. It's something you could have saw in the deep south. It's something you could have saw in NWA. Uh, WCW had a version of it in like the late 80s, early 90s. So it wasn't a completely unique idea, just like a, a lot of those well, WWF, yeah. WWE ideas. Uh, but yeah, I liked it at the time. I was more of a WCW guy at this point, like 95, 96, 97. Right. I was more on the WCW side with Stone Cold making his run. That's where I kind of turned a little bit. So at the time, I didn't see it live. 
but you heard about it as a, I was 13 at the time. You heard about this match. You heard about the Undertaker bleeding, which you really didn't do that much <laughs> right. at the time either. Um, it was special. It was unique. And you add in the story elements too. Not only the match itself, when you add the, the match itself with the story elements, what happened before and what happened immediately after. Oh, sure. It, it's it's in the, like you always say, if you can't you can't put it in a vacuum. Right. You have to have it in the context of everything else. And when you add this in the context of everything else, yeah, that's what puts it a little bit more over the top. What's funny about it is, so the reason Sean, and we're going to spend a little bit more time on this one because this was the original Hell in a Cell. This was the first feud between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. And it all started because at SummerSlam, Shawn was the guest referee. He, quote unquote, accidentally hit Undertaker with the steel chair and helped Bret Hart win the championship. And so it led to Shawn Undertaker for the very first time at a pay-per-view one month earlier. They didn't have a clear winner. They had a Hell in a Cell match in which there was also not a clear winner because (laughs) Kane interfered. And so I felt this Shawn Undertaker feud, which stopped right then and there. That was pretty much it for it because... Brett fought Sean. I think they had another match at Royal Rumble. I think they fought again at Royal Rumble in a casket match. That's where Sean injured his back. Yep. And that was it. There was never a clear winner to that feud. And then they never feuded again until many, many years later when we got them as the final two guys in the Royal Rumble. And then we got their quartet of matches at WrestleMania. So this was sort of the beginning of what turned out to be one of the great feuds of all time. I mean, they fought in back-to-back WrestleManias. The Undertaker retired Shawn Michaels. Little did we know in 1997 what that feud was eventually going to become. Yeah, you talked for too long. I was going to bust your chops about saying quartet for two. Oh. Come on, man. <laughs> Sorry. No, but, it, but I it, did say quartet for two. You know, we talked... We, well, I, I included those two pay-per-views. It's four. All right, fair That's enough. That's what I meant. But, you know, we <laughs> talked about it at the time. This, this 1997 era of WWF, there were were main eventers all over the place. Yeah. You could have main evented, what, five, six guys. And, you know, I was watching the WWE Network talking about this match. And Vince always wanted to keep uh, Michaels and Undertaker separate. He's like, you can't put them together because you can't lose the shine off one of them. Right. But you know what? If you do it right, both guys look good afterwards. Yep. And did Undertaker lose anything by losing this match? Heck no, because he, he he's an all-timer. So, you know, sometimes... Sometimes you got to do something a little bit different and unexpected. I don't think anybody would have thought Taker and Shawn Michaels would be as special as it was for this, you know, 15 year period, but you, those two guys were 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 you know, magic you together. Think at the time they would bring the cell back or did you think it was a one off? In retrospect, I would you would think it would be like a one off, but in WWF and WWE they don't leave a good thing untapped. But sometimes if, they they like they've when? had the scramble. Or unless you want to tell me that but wasn't, that wasn't a-, a good thing. <laughs> okay, other fine. other than right. the Ayatollah of Rock and Roll winning the world championship, there was no good that ever happened with the scramble. If it's good, they beat it into the ground. Well, they have by making it a pay-per-view, which which I'm against. I which mean makes it, it it doesn't make it special. No, now I the agree. cage is red and it's you know yada, well, yada. It's a part of why when we do a Hell in a Cell retrospective, we are going to ignore any Hell in a Cell match that happened at the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view. I mean, I think this podcast is an example of why I don't like the pay-per-view. We're not even going to talk about them because I think those Hell in a Cell matches aren't special. They're forced. And we're going to go through all of them, but you'll see that all of them had a reason. Yes. Except for the next two. Oh, God. (laughs) The next two, and I want to do this quickly because it's not worth spending time on. On Monday Night Raw in June of 1998, The Undertaker and Kane, I'm sorry, The Undertaker and Steve Austin teamed up to face Kane and Mankind because they wanted to build up 
the Hell in a Cell match between Undertaker and Mankind at King of the Ring. Uh, this one is on a Raw. It's completely unmemorable. Obviously, the next one is one of the most famous King of the Rings, but then they had another Raw King of the Ring match soon after that, which was a no contest between Maine and Can, uh, Maine, Mankind and Kane. I, I grouped them together because this was the only time where they said, let's take this new gimmick and waste it on Raw as some kind of angle. And I think that was always a mistake. I'll never understand why WWF and WWE feels the need to promote something by giving it to you. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you pay, what was it, 35 bucks at the time to watch a pay-per-view when we're giving you what you're going to pay the 35 bucks for six days in advance? Watching this back on the WWE Network, which again is well worth the 10 bucks a month that it is, uh, I, you know, I was, uh, I was sick this weekend, so I was at home watching just content and content and content on the WWE Network. And they have, what, every Raw other than the last four, like the last month of Raws? Right. They have every other historical Raw. So you go back and pull this up, and you watch it, and it's a popcorn match. It's entertaining. It's what, five, six, seven minutes, whatever it was. And they give you like five minutes of, you know, they did the old WCW, oh, tape machines are rolling. We're, we've run out of time. But they give you the three minutes. They give you the Stone Cold Stunner on Keen, which in 1998 was a pretty big deal. It wasn't yeah. happening all the time at that point. Um, it's fine. You don't, you don't do nearly enough um, uh, tornado matches in the, in the Hell in a Cell, putting more than two bodies in there. They've done it more, you know, uh, more than a few times. But it's such a fun idea. Yeah, I, I, I like tornado tag matches. Why not do yeah. that more? Uh, 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 well, that's a whole other argument. But you know, for what it was for a ten-minute popcorn match, would I have burned it? Uh, you know, what? A, 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 what? Two weeks before the pay per view? No, oh, that was the thing. I mean, but they were. It is what it is. They were trying to sell you on King of the Ring 1998, and as we talk about King of the Ring 1998, let's take you back to City Field, oh, God. where the audio quality was okay. King of the Ring 98. Me and Dennis talking about it. Take a listen. King of the Ring 1998. Mankind. Undertaker. I think this is still to this day the most talked about King of the Ring match. I'll let you start the thoughts. So, going back and watching this, I don't know if you went back and watched it, because I'm like, part of me is like, you know, I don't know if I want to watch this, because I have to watch all these stupid Triple H Elvis on matches. <laughs> so, I don't know if I want to watch one that I've seen. There, you know, there are a lot of Triple H I don't know if I want to watch this dozens of times. Right. I don't know if I want to watch it for the, for the 40th time. But we're watching it again. It's a train wreck. It's tough to watch. They gotta raise the cage to get a, a stretcher down there. The whole thing, but God, it was entertaining as hell. Okay, so here, here's the way I look at it, and I know that you've heard me quote Ric Flair before on this. That Mick Foley is a glorified stuntman. You're because you're a monster. Well, Bit Rick, of a jerk, Rick Flair said it first. Yeah, that's right. Okay, you're, so you're, 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 you're no Ric Flair. You're, you're no Ric Flair. <laughs> no, I know. I know that. I'm no Ric Flair. I get it, but it is true <laughs> that this match, this Mick Foley. Undertaker match, which I think we'd all agree is the most famous of the Hell in a Cell matches. This was about mankind being a stuntman. I mean, am I wrong about that? I mean, look, you went back and watched it. You even said in that clip that you had a tough time going back and watching it. But that's all he did. All he did was take crazy bumps. In this match, you can say that. But as an overall performer, that's unfair. The matches with Vader, matches with HBK, matches with Taker. He is one of the best pro wrestlers of all time. But don't you think but he's he, most known for this match? A million percent. He, okay. He, he's not WWE champion if, if this match doesn't happen. He's not a WWE Hall of Famer if this match doesn't happen. So it's a big part of his legacy. It's a big part of who he is as a performer. That being said, 
listen, he didn't get over right away. It took uh, Sacco and Yerpel and all the other <laughs> nonsense that happened over the next couple of months. But this led to six months later, he's WWE champion, WWF champion. Right. And that doesn't happen if he falls off the cage twice, if he doesn't fall off the cage twice. Yeah, I mean, I went back and watched it, and it's entertaining. I mean, and Jim Ross really sells it. You know, Jim Ross is, he broke it in half. I mean, all that kind of stuff. The thumbtacks, which I think is easily forgotten about. Because I think the most, the, the image from that match that most people remember is probably him going through the table off the mm-hmm. top of the cell. But I think the other two spots that he took going through the top of the cell and then the thumbtack part is also pretty crazy. And also, what did The Undertaker actually do? All The Undertaker did was throw mankind off of things. But he had a broken foot or a broken ankle or <laughs> nah, a broken he was, leg or whatever yeah. he did. He was, you're but, right. But listen, Foley is more than a glorified stuntman. I'll always fight, him, fight you on that. <laughs> but this is one of those where he went above and beyond and just well beyond whatever he needed to do. Um, this is special in, in a very scary way. There's a couple of times it could have went very, very wrong. Right. Um, and this is about as behind the curtain we ever saw, certainly to this point. And you know what? He willed his, he willed his way up the cage Don't- again. He... He brought out the thumbtacks. Who knows how much he remembers? I think he says he doesn't remember very much at all. But don't you agree, and you'll see it. I mean, you know it. You've watched all these matches. When we talk about a lot of these other matches, they're good wrestling matches. This was not a good wrestling match. How many match. of these are good wrestling How many of these are well, The first one was? The first one was great. Okay. I, you know what? Here's what we'll do. Every time we get to a Hell in a Cell match in which I think it was a good wrestling match or a match that was better than Undertaker Mankind, King of the Ring 98, I'll point it out. Go ahead. Okay. The next one I'm not going to point it out on. And that was the first time we saw in a Hell in a Cell at WrestleMania. WrestleMania 15, March of 1999. They bring the big cell back for Undertaker against Big Boss Man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The only thing I remember about this match is him hanging the Big Boss Man. The ministry versus the corporation. Right. I right. forgot about the, uh, the, the, the brood coming from the ceiling. That was another thing that was not comfortable to watch. It's like you forgot how often... These guys repelled from the rafters, yeah. you know, from Sting to, you know, to Michaels at WrestleMania was at 12. Yep. yep. Uh, all these different moments. Um, I don't know why this needed to happen. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to, uh, quote unquote, uh, hang the big boss man. Like, who, what, what kind of vetting process does it go through? Why does Taker think it's a good idea? Why does Vince <laughs> approve that? This was uh, Dark Undertaker, by the way. This is the Undertaker, part of Undertaker's history that they don't like to talk about. Biker Undertaker, they like to talk about more than the, really, the psychopath Undertaker. I mean, think about it. The guy who's kidnapping Stephanie McMahon, which he would do, what, a month later? I was going to say around the same time. Around the same time. It was really weird Undertaker. That's who he was at this moment in time. Yeah, it just it, it was weird with the... Uh the ministry music, it's not the traditional like Undertaker coming to the ring. It's just like, you, it's becoming, you went from the dead man to the ministry, and then we'll see relatively soon uh, the, the biker taken. It's just right. like, it's weird how that happened. Why would you ruin, not ruin, but why would you change such an iconic character yeah. into what he evolved well, into during, during this time and, period? And the other thing is, this is a mismatch. I mean, the big boss man is a mid-carter. You know, he was never a main eventer unless you want to count his title feud with the Big Show as main eventing. Well, when Hogan the, back in the late 80s. Was that even the main eventing? He was a, yeah, sure. On Saturday night's main event when he's teaming up with Akeem, the Twin Towers. Get the, against, main, get the main event WrestleMania to be a main eventer? Well, main event something. I mean, he main evented a, a Saturday night's main event. 
He, I guess that's the Santa Night's main event. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. He was mostly a mid-carder. That's all sure, I'm saying. Sure, yeah, uh, you're fair. Uh, let's get to the next one. This is the sixth Hell in the Cell. This was no, and this begins a lot of Triple H matches, Listen, which uh, I know you're very happy about. No Way Out 2000, Triple H defends the WWE Championship against Mankind, and Mankind puts his career on the line. And this is a great McFoley match. He can, listen, he took offense about as well as anybody else in the company's history, but he also gives it out as well. This was a great match. You, you see the, the barbed wire bat me, probably its first appearance in the WWF. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to the top of the cage again, and thankfully this time they put some padding under the mat. Yeah. Um, but this is a, a great match. I don't know why this is in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, in a pre-WrestleMania uh, match and feud. But this is pretty damn good. And you know, you forget some of these spots. I forgot the backdrop through the uh, through the ceiling again. I can't believe that Vince let yeah, him do it again. That's a bit. I went back and watched it. That was a hell of a bump. And if I'm not mistaken, that was the end of the match, essentially. Triple H comes down. I think he pedigreed him once and then pinned him cleanly, and that was it, right? Well, he, yeah, he was down in the ring. He goes through the ring. Right. He's there for a couple of minutes. H uh, kicks him a little bit, picks him up, pedigree, and it's over. The, the thing that bothered me about Triple H Mankind, and they had a couple of matches, not a quartet, a couple of matches. The Royal Rumble match, which was a good one. That was a street fight against sure. Cactus Jack. And, and let me clarify, it was Cactus Jack. It wasn't Mankind. It was Triple H against Cactus Jack, Hell in a Cell. Is it bothered me that a year earlier, The Rock kept losing to Mankind, so they kept switching titles? And the and the Rock would always need to cheat to vic to, to get to victory, and yet Triple H was basically beating him clean. That kind of pissed me off. You'd appreciate that, right? I can't argue with that. That pissed at me off. All. But I think that H needed the validation that the Rock didn't. Rock didn't need it. Rock didn't need it. Here's why I disagree. At the time that that was the Rock's first title run, I needed his run to be decisive, and it wasn't. He kept losing. This is Triple H's second title run. You you may remember that. I think it was actually his third. So he wins the belt at the the night after SummerSlam '99. Yeah. Then he loses it to Vince that month. Exactly. On SmackDown, wins it, it back. back in the six pack challenge or whatever. Loses it, was, it at Survivor Series to show Big Show triple threat match. Big Show and then wins it Austin. back. Yeah, you know it is third. It's his third title <laughs> run. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. The Triple H needed validation, but it. I guess my point more is I didn't like the way they handled the Rock's title run. That I would have had The Rock remain as a strong champion as opposed to losing to Mankind on Monday Night Raw and then at halftime heat. I think the whole point of it, too, though, is that The Rock was a proxy for McMahon. And McMahon yeah. specifically at that time wasn't afraid to, to quote-unquote, show ass <laughs> and to, to look like a fool. Right. So right. The Rock was kind of the proxy for that. Eventually, The Rock becomes the biggest star in the company, so you can't say they steered him too wrong. But I understand what you're saying, but I think that... Especially in this era, but over the last, what, 25 years that we've right. been watching wrestling pretty religiously, right. uh, they don't have heels be competent, you know, badasses. Yeah. Be like, you know what? You're right. You know what? We don't like him because he's just better. Yeah. And how often has that really happened? Well, I think Brock Lesnar is, fits the heel, badass, I'm actually good and not just a chicken. Yeah. You know what? Mostly. I don't like to curse. I know it's a podcast and I can, but I, I choose not to. 
Aren't I classy, Dennis? First off, that's not true. (laughs) Here's a clip from last week when we're at at City Field. (laughs) Fair enough. I do have a clip coming up. We've got two more. We've got Jeff McNeil's RBI double where you and I argue about if the runner should be sent. And I think this is the main event. That's why I'm saving it for last. Pete Alonso hitting his 51st home run while we attempted to record the podcast. As we are, you know, neutral and unbiased professionals that we are. Yeah, yeah, that you'll hear that. Uh, This is the first time. This is now we'll get to the seventh Hell in a Cell match. This is the first time where they really try to make it different by having a ton of guys involved. This is a six-man Armageddon Hell in a Cell match. Kurt Angle defends the WWE Championship against, listen to this roster, and also tell me who doesn't (laughs) belong. The Undertaker, Triple H, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and... Rakishi, I did it for you, Rock. Oh, you didn't even give me a chance to sit you up for that. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Very upset. This was in no way objectively good. This was not good, but it was entertaining. Yes. A little bit long. It didn't yes. need to be 32 minutes long. Uh, a couple of too many body slams in the cars on, on the stage. All that being said, it was entertaining. And I think the, 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 the Rikishi spot off the cage, yeah. not bad. Best spot of the night, I thought, right? Wasn't it? Rikishi falling onto the truck? Yeah. Or the, whatever it was? Yeah, the back of uh, the bed of the pickup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had five main eventers. Yeah. Like all time. That's all time. Top. These guys are all top 10 all time, probably, right? That's crazy. And, you know, you have Austin is like peak Austin at this time, too. Yeah. Or just at the end of peak Austin. Uh, this is going into WrestleMania X7, too, which is kind of weird to, to think about at this time. Yeah. Uh, where Austin's going to get the, the Rumble in 01. Um, it was entertaining. Was it good? No. Think about this, though, bro. Has there ever been a five-man, four-man, six-man match that you wouldn't say fits exactly that description you gave? Where it was entertaining. It's not a great match because it's impossible. A triple threat, fine. You can have a great match. But once you have four, five, six guys involved, it is what it is. It's a cluster. That's what it's meant to be. But like, you're not going to see that match as like a match. You'll have the Elimination Chamber. You'll have a ladder match, Money in the Bank, or you know, IC match or whatever. You very rarely are you getting like a traditional. This is a hell in a cell, obviously. They're yeah. obviously beating the crap at each other, and everyone bleeds more than they should. Uh, but it's as close to like a match as a six-person match would be. So it's entertaining. And <clears throat> like I was saying before, we get Biker Taker, which was unexpected. I forgot. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Biker Taker. Biker Taker, yeah. It, it, was, it, was, it was, listen, it's, is it uh, seven stars? No, but it was entertaining. And you know what? Uh, after watching enough of these, it, it, it kind of burns your soul a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, I was still enjoying them. That's a fun thing about these retrospectives. You take it very seriously, and you watch all of these matches. And when you watch them back to back to back to back, you start to it starts to change the way you feel about you know it's, wrestling. I don't know if we want to have this conversation now or later, but the Hell in a Cell match, specifically the first this, this first run of it, yeah, yeah, it's very by the books. The the uh, the heel gets beaten beaten up gets bloody comes back the face gets beaten up gets bloody and then they eventually go into a finish. Uh, it's very rote. It's the same thing over and over well, and over again. And when it's once a year and it's culminating a feud and you haven't seen it forty times before, it's great. It, but having watching it back to back to back to back, you realize how 
really formulaic it is. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And so far, it looks like all the heels are winning because Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, the first one, Shawn's the heel. Uh, Undertaker, Mankind, Undertaker was the face, so there's a face winning. Undertaker, Boss Man, Undertaker, I think, is the heel. I think they're both heels, aren't they? Pretty much. Okay, fine. Triple H, Mankind, Triple H is the heel. Kurt Angle is clearly the heel here, so a lot of heels so far. But let's get to the next one, another Triple H match for you. And this is a long layoff because... On average, they had been going about eight or nine months between Hell in a Cell matches, maybe about a year, if you look at the track record. This is a layoff of a year and a half. Armageddon 2000 is in December. This is May of 2002. So a year and a half later, Triple H against Chris Jericho at Judgment Day 2002, most known for The Undertaker beating Hulk Hogan for the Undisputed Championship. Yeah, this match didn't need to happen. Like, they, they fought at WrestleMania. Uh, well, <laughs> quote-unquote fought as Jericho just took offense for 20 minutes. Uh, you know, they, 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 H loses the belt, and then, you know, they kind of go their different ways. They ended up this match. I don't even remember how they got into this It match. was a weird build. It was Vince McMahon trying to punish Triple H. It was really stupid. The build to this match was awful. You would think, because it's a few months after WrestleMania, that it's all about revenge, and it wasn't. It was about Vince McMahon trying to punish Triple H. Really stupid buildup. No, and the thing that that bothers me more than anything is that they go to the top of the cage, and listen, for the the, the match stipulations, uh, very wildly, depending on what the match is and who's in and whatever, but Hell in the Cell, you got to get pinned or submit. In, in in the ring. Right. So they go to the top of the cage. Uh, H somehow pedigrees Jericho. How does it hurt? Well, what, what, what is what is the force that is... Ha- <laughs> it's, it's a mesh. He bounces. Well, why does it hurt? And he gets pinned on the top of the cage. And I remember, again, I was what? This is me. So I was 17 years old watching this. It's still like, I'm like, oh, maybe they'll put the belt on Jericho. Maybe they'll push oh, him. Geez. Oh, man, what a good run this is. And I'm like, he's depending on the top of the cage. What kind of nonsense is this? How did the referee get up there? What is going on? <laughs> I just oh god! So that this might be the moment, you know, that, that really cemented my outward disdain of Triple H until he offers me a job in three and a half years. <laughs> You're funny. Where we have to delete all these uh, all these episodes of the Evan oh, Roberts podcast. I'm not deleting them. I'm sending them to Paul Levesque. <laughs> I want him to hear every bit of it. Uh, let's get to No Mercy O2. So now it's only a five month layoff. Between uh, this one, Brock Lesnar defending the WWE Championship against The Undertaker and defeating The Undertaker in his match, Hell in a Cell. Brock Lesnar had probably the best, what, six-month run of any wrestler ever? It's tough to find a better one. I think it beats Goldberg's. For sure, yeah. He he, you know he uh, he chokes out, uh, not chokes out. He bear hugs out Hogan and smears the blood on his chest. Yep. He destroys uh, the Rocket SummerSlam O2, though one of the best SummerSlams that you were at. I, I was, was not there. At that it was one great. And this one, this was how long was this match? This was a twenty-seven minute match. And Undertaker gets some offense in, but Brock Lesnar beats the tar <laughs> out of the Undertaker for twenty-five minutes, beats him clean as a whistle, and leaves. About the biggest star in the company you can have. Did they mess it up a month later? Yeah, Damn right they did. Yeah, they did. This was pinnacle Brock Lesnar. So you mentioned it. They bring him in after WrestleMania. He's the next big thing. They back it up. He's the number one contender for the title. Beats The Rock in a very good match in the main event. Yet, this is really what solidified him. You know, winning the championship is one thing. But then defending it. Because they, they actually fought Undertaker Brock Lesnar a month early. Ended in a schmoz. They had a DQ. Fine. They didn't want Brock to just go over him immediately. And then they have this Hell in a Cell match, and this is where Brock arrived. And this is when 
Brock Lesnar became a guy that people wanted to cheer for. And I think it actually, in fairness, started at SummerSlam. Sure. But it really continued at this Hell in a Cell match. And like you mentioned, I think more about Brock standing at the top of the cell. He climbed it after he beat him. I think he put the Undertaker's blood on him like he did with Hulk Hogan. And then they messed it up because at that point, he's a huge megastar. They ran an angle where Paul Heyman is saying to him, you're banged up. You need a break. Brock says, I refuse. I want to fight the big show at Survivor Series at Madison Square Garden. And with bruised ribs, taped up ribs, Lesnar got show up for an F5 at Madison Square Garden. And it's one of those things. I love to take digs at Nick fans by saying this. As loud as the garden oh, gets. stop it. As loud as the garden has ever been. <laughs> hey, we won the cup there like five years before. I know, Come on, I know. I'm, I'm kidding around. It was very loud. But Heyman turned on Lesnar. Big Show beat Brock. That undefeated his un, uh, ended his undefeated streak. So this was the last moment of Brock Lesnar being that undefeated machine before they turned on him. Well, let me ask you this. Because in retrospect, that angle was a disaster. We like the yeah. fantasy book on the yeah. show and yeah. at Mets games. Um, if they did this... this um, vignette at this story at WrestleMania, do you think it would have been a bigger deal? Do you think the story would have gotten, gotten over turning more? on Brock, you mean? Yeah. No, what I, what I would have done, and I thought this at the time, was clearly they wanted to give you Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, which is what they eventually did. I would have gotten there much differently. And I think what I would have done if I was, let's fantasy book Brock Lesnar. I would have had him beat the big show. I would have had him continue as the undefeated monster, and Kurt would have been the guy that won the Royal Rumble, and it would set up, and both of them as faces, by the way. I would have had Kurt as a face. I would have had Brock, whatever the crowd wants to think of Brock is the way I would have booked him, and I would have had this mega match, and I would have had Kurt Angle beat him to end Lesnar's undefeated streak in just a great wrestling match. That's what I would have done. Now, obviously, they sort of did the opposite because Brock beat Kurt Angle. He's the one that won the Rumble. He got his title back. I just... Look, there's no great way to end an undefeated streak. The way they ended Bill Goldberg's undefeated streak in WCW was a joke. A taser and Kevin Nash? What? So I know there isn't a great way to do it, but that's the great way I would have done it, which would have been just a great wrestling match between Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle. Here's my hot take. Go ahead. If Brock Lesnar hits that shooting star press at WrestleMania 19, he never leaves the company. (laughs) You can't even back that up with anything. (laughs) All right. That's why it's a good hot take. It's true, and I'm not even going to ask you to back it up with anything. <laughs> uh, let's get to Bad Blood 2003. <sighs> Sorry. Triple H defends the world title against the aforementioned Kevin Nash. The Taylor Swift uh, portion of the evening. So you can, uh, sorry. So Nash looks better. He, Nash looks great here. Uh, is the match good in any capacity? No. No, this is not a good match. Does Triple H need to attack him with a screwdriver? <laughs> no. No, he does not. Uh, but this was not unwatchable. I was worried it was going to be just completely... Um, Completely. My, my dog is crying now hearing about another Triple H match. Calm down, Listen, Doug. I get it, Doug. Um, did I think this was entertaining? No. Did, was it good in any capacity? No. Was it a disaster? I don't think it was a disaster. It was fine. But like with his Nash run, there's a lot of stops and starts and never really put it all together. Now, nah, Dudley, this is a good time to cry because Triple H and Kevin <laughs> Nash was just bad. And this was during a period. This is during a period I think you'd appreciate. Triple H, Scott Steiner. Triple H going over Booker T when he shouldn't, especially when Triple H was portrayed as a racist, and then he goes over Booker T. Like, what kind of booking is that? He pedigrees him and takes him 45 seconds to get the the pin. It couldn't have been booked any worse, and then you give us Kevin Nash. It was just bad. I mean, Kevin Nash was good. 
I thought he was good in WCW. I did. I thought he was good on the at mic. Times. At times. You're right. Let me couch that. At times. At this point, we didn't need to see Kevin Nash. And putting him in a championship match and a Hell in a Cell match was just, it was boring. Listen, That's when, what it came down to. It was boring. When you're in the click, I don't know how the rest of it goes. but the, Yeah. Uh, listen, it's also weird to see unbearded Triple H, Triple H and I think Blue Trunks. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it was... Listen, I didn't think again. I I hate myself for how much I didn't hate all these Triple H Hell in a Cell matches. But this one was the worst one, right? If you had to say the worst, and we we've got a few more Triple H matches to go, but Triple H Kevin Nash has got to be the worst of the Hell in a Cell matches. Taker Boss Man's worse than that. Yeah, you're right. Okay, okay, you called me out on that. That's pretty good. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So that was Bad Blood 03. Now, I want to point something out. The first ever Hell in a Cell was out of Bad Blood, except they spelled bad differently. I just want to point that out. So now they come back a year later with another Bad Blood pay-per-view, and this time it's Triple H against Shawn Michaels, not a title match. And I think what we most remember about this one from June of 04 is that it was a 47-minute match, which... That's a lot, man. In a Hell in a Cell, that is an awful, awful lot. And there was no ending to this match, right? I I don't know if you could pull up your text from a couple weeks ago as I'm watching this. I'm like, all right. I, I didn't realize at the time it was a 47-minute match. But well, you didn't know what you are getting yourself into. So like, when you put it out, I'm like, all right, this is true. He always has the longest match on the card, and uh, this is going. And then like you're like, all right, you know, uh, I'm having some popcorn. I'm, I'm running low on popcorn. And I'm like, oh, this is... <laughs> This is concerning. Why am I, I, you know, I'm hungry and I'm a big guy. So, you know, I go through popcorn quickly from time to time. But like, there is still 35 minutes to go in this match and I have no popcorn left. I'm like, what is going on? Is it, is it objectively good? Sure. But it's like getting a scoop of ice cream versus 10 scoops of ice cream. Like one scoop of ice cream, like, hey, you know what? I can have a little bit more. I'm, I'm okay with that. If you give me 10 scoops of ice cream that I can't leave until, <laughs> until I finish all of it, I'm just miserable and I never want to have ice cream again. That's well said. I'm going to sum this up this way. And maybe it's sort of similar to what you just said. At this point in 2004, I've seen enough of Triple H, Shawn Michaels. I have. Doesn't mean they weren't good together. Doesn't mean they didn't have a lot of great matches, but they fought a lot. They had fought at that previous Royal Rumble where there was no winner. I think it was a no man, uh, no man standing match. Yeah, that fits right. It was a no man's standing Isn't match. Isn't that the Tim Allen show on Fox? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Last man standing match. We'd seen a lot of Triple H Shawn Michaels. And I think at this point it was, okay, I've seen this. And now you're giving me 47 more minutes of Triple H and Shawn Michaels. And this is after the, the triple threat feud yep. in the WrestleMania. Correct. The show after WrestleMania. I've seen it. Yeah. Their feud had been going on for years, so the biggest rip I have of this match is I was done with it. Uh, let's get to another one. This is the 12th Hell in the Cell match, and yet another Triple H match. Oh, my God. Where he's trying to co-op it for him for his own. And this is exactly a year later. So now they're on this June cycle where every June there's a Hell in a Cell. June of 05, Batista, Triple H. This wraps up the trilogy between Triple H and Batista. Batista retains the World Heavyweight Championship. Say what I want about Triple H. He put over Batista here. Oh, he, yes, he did. You can't say that he didn't. And he's done, he's done a pretty good job of it over the years. Did he do it with, with Jericho? No, of course not. Did he learn from his lessons? Of course he did. Am I miserable about it 20 years later? Sure I am. <laughs> uh, but listen, listen, Batista, in this era, he was becoming a main eventer. And when, as we see him in Hell in a Cell matches over the next couple of years, and as a main eventer over the next couple of years, 
05 Batista versus 08 Batista. 08 Batista is pretty damn good. Yeah. About as good as it yep. gets. Yep. So 05 Batista is still learning. He's learning how to be confident in the ring. He's learning how to be a main eventer. It's fine. We get Batista bonds. We get the whole thing. Um, it's It's fine. It's fine, but like you said, and like we see with WWE television now, we get it once, great, but then we get it a second, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth. But and they a fifth. really, they really put Batista Is this over. the third or fourth match? I think this was the third. We'd have to double check it, but they were clearly, Triple H was clearly saying, Dave Batista's the guy. I am going to put him over every single way possible, and I thought it was a good match. I like Batista. We're going to get to another Batista match and a couple more Hell in a Cells. Uh, I liked him. I always liked him more than John Cena. I always thought he was the guy in the 2005 handoff. Remember when John Cena won the title from JBL at Mania and Batista beat Triple H? It was the new era of WWE. And both guys were top guys for, for multiple years. John Cena obviously lasted longer. They're both movie stars now. Sure. I mean, I don't know who the bigger movie star is. I guess it could be Dave Batista, can it? You could argue it's Dave Batista. I mean, if you add just like box office, he was in the Guardians of the Galaxy. So yeah, yeah the, I think he's, he was in a James Bond movie. But listen, do who do more people know? I also I always more call, people know Cena. Yeah, I always call it the grandma test. If you listen to Dennis yep. as a podcast at dhabshow.com all the time or at dhabshow on the Twitter machine, right. uh, I talk about the grandma test. And does my grandmother know who Dave Batista is? No, but maybe I'll show her some pictures and we'll have a conversation <laughs> about it later. But does she know who John Cena is? Yeah, he's on the, on nah, the Today right. Show and does all that stuff. Well, he does so. more than just movies, you know, because John does the TV, does the Nickelodeon Kids things. Choice yeah. Awards. Does my grandmother yeah. watch that? No, probably not. But. <laughs> <laughs> this was a good match, though. I thought it was okay. Let's uh, take a break from talking Hell in a Cell and go back to City Field. And let us listen to us wa- try to talk wrestling, go back to talking wrestling, while Jeff McNeil rips an RBI double, and we argue about if the runner should be sent or not. Former 24-7 yeah. yeah. champion. Don't send him. Don't send him. Don't send him. You gotta send him on that play. Hey, oh, My favorite part was my attempt to get us back to talking wrestling when we could not hear each other talk because of the crowd noise and then the announcement of Pialanto's name and then his walk-up music. This reminds me of Howie Rose doing the post-game recap. <laughs> Do I get a Nikon watch or something? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Did, Why didn't you want to send the runner? I don't know why you were being such a, a wuss as a third base coach. Don't what, send him. Listen, don't we, were send still, we were still alive. And we, we, were we? we? Listen, we this were still This is basically mad. the night the Mets got eliminated. Yeah, but we had two hours of life left and I didn't want to ruin it with a fifth run uh, coming around. Th- I think it was, it was Todd Frazier was running? I think it was Todd running. Listen, yeah. he's, he's not a fast man. We are not fast men. No. Uh, but I listen, I wouldn't send us. I wouldn't send Todd Frazier. Well, I'm glad they sent him. And that was a part of, I, I think that was a part of the 
second inning rally? I'm trying to remember what rally that was. It had to have been just because of yeah. placement in the order. Yeah. All right, let's get to the 13th Hell in a Cell match. This is from Armageddon 2005. So instead of waiting until June of 05 or June of 06, they come back six months later with The Undertaker defeating Randy Orton. Hey, there's nothing you can say. Do you like that song better than... I hear voices yes, I in my head. So I was watching, again, I, I was sick over the weekend, and I was watching uh, uh, No Mercy uh, 07. Right. Where they, Cena gets hurt. He has the belt for 380 days, gets yep. hurt. Yep. They award the belt to Orton. Loses to Triple H. Yes. Then Triple H fights somebody. Umaga. Umaga and then Randy Orton beats Triple H to close the, the show. In the last of the show. Right, right. And the one thing I took from watching this is that it was the old music. And I'm trying to remember when he got uh, voices inside his head. All this to be said. Um, when is the last time WWE put three guys over in, in what? A six-month period. Cena, Batista, Orton. They have him go up against legends. Triple H, Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, eventually Hogan. Right. Like they put him over, and they put him over right. Does Orton win this match? No. Does he look like a million bucks? Damn right he did. This was saving Randy Orton because they fast-tracked Randy, and I think they fast-tracked him because they wanted him to be the youngest champion to replace Brock Lesnar. I'm sure that was the reason. Mm -hmm. And so Randy got the title from Benoit at SummerSlam 2004. Okay? He wasn't ready. And then they booked him to turn face, and he was an awful face. And so they put him with Stacey Keebler. He's feuding, I think, with Test or whatever the hell he's doing. I don't even remember. He was, a, he was bad, and they ruined him. And the way they brought him back was stuff like this, by making him the legend killer. Uh, you mentioned the match with Hulk Hogan that he would have at SummerSlam 2006, so it would happen about six months later. His feud with The Undertaker. It brought him back. So to the WWE's credit, they, they fast-tracked him, they ruined him, and they saved him to the point where here he is 14 years later. I don't love him, but here he is 14 years later, and he's still going. And I think a part of what gave him that longevity was a feud like this with The Undertaker. And a guy like Undertaker really putting him over and making him look great. Again, if you don't have to win the match to quote-unquote win the match and look good right. if it's done correctly. And guys like The Undertaker, even though he was, what, 21-0 at WrestleMania, made guys look good a lot of the time. Did he do, did it work with Giant Gonzalez? No, that didn't, that didn't do very well. But Wow. Well, they also, you know, here's a, can I mention something about Giant Gonzalez? So I, I didn't know I hit a nerve. Well, you hit a nerve here. It is the, the biggest nerve that you could hit with The Undertaker and his streak is the fact that so Giant Gonzalez comes out at Royal Rumble. It's a DQ, bro. Come on. Well, that's, my, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah, 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 that's my big point. I'm not even going to get long-winded now because you spoiled it. <laughs> it's a DQ. He can't just beat Giant Gonzalez at WrestleMania. He can't just tombstone the tall son of a bitch. They've got to go. And you remember how he DQ'd him? I thought him? he didn't curse. What are you doing to me, bro? Son of a bitch. That's not a curse. He chloroforms him. That was the DQ. Giant Gonzalez chloroform the Undertaker. Is that what? Is that the yeah, right word? Chloroform. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't you, know if it's chloroform. I don't know if you make it a verb. I just made it a verb. I mean, so this Undertaker streak includes that as a victory, being chloroformed by Giant Gonzalez. Listen, I love how they leave that out of the videos. Goldberg beat Hugh Morris like fourteen times during the streak. So I mean, they're not all winners. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's get to Unforgiven 2006. This is one of the worst Hell in a Cell matches. It's DX. They're back together again. Shawn Michaels and Triple H against Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, and why not The Big Show? They're not all winners, Ev. This was not entertaining. No one looked good. I didn't enjoy anything about this. How? I don't know if you have this in front of you. How long was this match? 
You want me to look it up? I no, don't no, no, have no. it in front. I, Do you want me to guess? Yes, guess how long this match is. <sighs> 26 minutes. 25.04. That's wow. pretty damn good. Damn. Did it need to be 25 minutes? No, it should have been nine. Oh. That shouldn't have happened. I mean, DX's reunion was stupid to begin with. And, and they just buried everybody. Yeah, they buried everybody. And I don't need to see Vincent Shane fighting. And again, you cheapen Hell in a Cell when you, when you say, let's put this in a Hell in a Cell. Some of these other matches, Undertaker, Randy Orton, Long Feud, Batista, Triple H, Trilogy, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, hey, they're fighting for the 58th time, Brock Lesnar, Undertaker, rematch from a previous, you know, no winner kind of match. There were reasons for these matches. There were reasons. There is no reason for DX against Vince, Shane, and Big Show, a feud that very few people cared about. This is a comedy match, and you don't put a comedy match in Hell in a Cell. Well said. Well said. No, you're right about that. This is one of my favorites. We got to one of my favorites. Survivor Series, 2007. You don't have a lot of Survivor Series Hell in a Cells. In fact, this is the only time we got a Hell in a Cell Survivor Series. Batista defending the world championship against the Undertaker. As much as I love this one, I want to hear what you have to say because I I know you're uh, going to be right on it with this. All right, so here's the deal. Batista Undertaker, one of the most underrated feuds in pro wrestling history. One of the most underrated feuds. They should have main evented WrestleMania 23. Instead, they went with Shawn Michaels, John Cena, which was a great match. It was a great match. And this was the year of WrestleMania This was the year of 23. This was the year of Undertaker Batista. They also had a match, I think, on a SmackDown that was really good, a steel cage match, if I'm not mistaken. They had a lot of really good matches. And this was another one. And it had Batista winning. I, I just thought it was a very entertaining match. I think for two big men, they had great chemistry together. And I think this is a feud that just doesn't get enough respect. In fact... About a year ago, it wasn't recently, I had watched a few Undertaker-Batista matches, and I Googled, I Googled, I put in the Google machine, Undertaker's greatest feuds, hoping that I'd get a couple of people to say, you know what, he had a great feud, he had a great feud with Batista, and nobody said that. Michaels, Edge, Kane. Bro, I will put... McFoley. That's all fine. They're all fair. All fair. I'll put this feud up with any of them. It was that good. The mega stars, guys that are over the championship. They fought at WrestleMania. Uh, I just, I just, I really got a kick out of this. Here's, here's, and this is going to be agreeing with you, but I'm going to be a little long-winded with it. Not super long-winded. The HBK stories, yeah, mid '90s, late 2000s, and the Edge stories, you know, mid 2000s, were better than the Batista the story. stories. Were better, but okay. The Batista matches, plural, I think were better than the HBK and the Edge Let matches. me ask you a question. Because Edge and Shawn Michaels, the other guy said, Edge and Shawn Michaels are great wrestlers. Yes. And they're considered, I know Edge isn't a little guy, so it's not fair to call him that, but they are different than The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Undertaker and Batista are two big men. Name me two big men that gave you great matches the way Batista and Undertaker did. But here's the thing with with... Undertaker. Yeah. He had great matches with with Mark Henry. Did he? He had not good, like this. Not like this, but for Mark Henry matches, okay, well, pretty damn that's good. fine. But they same, weren't as good. Same thing with Kane, the Undertaker. I don't buy that. I thought Kane Undertaker sucked. I thought it sucked. They ne- every time, every time. not every time, but most of the time. I think he got better matches at the Kane than anybody else did. But here's my point with Taker with Rey Mysterio. I don't care who it is. If you put Undertaker Undertaker from 1995 to 2010, mm-hmm. that 15 year period, I don't care who it is. It was a damn good match. All that being that's said, fine. I'm giving Undertaker credit. All that being said, Batista 
and Undertaker worked very well together. They did. And it's not something that you think would work. Batista's another one of those guys. He had great matches with Rey Mysterio. Yeah. He had good matches with HBK He's so and underrated, Jericho. Batista. He's, like I was saying before, 05 Batista versus, even, I was saying 08 before, but even 07 Batista, that two, two and a half years, he went from being a physical monster that were just putting the belt on muscles right. to a guy that could go. He could and go. And was having a damn good Hell in a Cell match with the Undertaker. I, I, it's, I don't know if a Batista coming back a few times ruined his reputation, but no. I don't think he gets enough credit for being as good as he was. I'm not saying he's the greatest of all time. I'm saying he was better than what people give him credit for. Listen, uh, 2010 Hollywood Batista with the spotlight, tremendous. Yep. Uh, 2014 Blue Batista with Evolution Blue in those Tista. matches with the Shield, tremendous. Give me what I want, Batista, tremendous. Yeah. He's one of my Give favorite guys. I want Batista. It's, it's not bad. All right, let's go to the final Hell in a Cell before they started cheapening it by having a pay-per-view. SummerSlam. Ah, and this again. Only time we ever had a Hell in a Cell at SummerSlam. The Undertaker against Edge. This is great. Undertaker and Edge, you know, La Familia, the uh, the Edgeheads, the whole thing. They another. They had a, a year-long feud, probably more than that. That was great. This Hell in a Cell... Undertaker just beat the living... Mm. And then came back. Came back after he beat him to, to kill him. So, what was the point of that? To write him off TV. Uh. So, yeah, so Edge gets beaten up, really got very little offense into this match, loses. Um, Undertaker's leaving. Edge is, is he stirring? He's getting up. Right. And then uh, uh, Undertaker mm, puts him through the ring, <laughs> sends him to hell, and we don't see Edge for a little bit. Yeah, it was just, it was very heel-like for him to come back and just beat him up, kind of like what Goldberg did to Dolph Ziggler a few months ago. The other thing was the build-up to this match was Edge and Vicky were getting divorced, and Vicky wanted to get revenge on Edge, and her revenge was The Undertaker, which is fine, but why would The Undertaker want to help Vicky Guerrero out? Explain that one to me. Because Edge is a jerk. Oh, so the Undertaker, all right. He has a punchable face. All right. It's wrestling. Have all, not, not all the stories are going to be, be winners. Fair enough. Sense. Fair enough. Uh, now the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view starts. Since then, there have been two Hell in a Cell matches since they implemented the pay-per-view. You wouldn't think there'd be any. They'd say, why would we have a Hell in a Cell? We have a pay-per-view for it. Both were at WrestleMania, and both featured The Undertaker. And maybe that's going to be... The it. Like, I don't know if there'll ever be another Hell in a Cell match, again, considering they've got this yearly pay-per-view. Let's go to WrestleMania 28. This is April of 2012. The Undertaker against Triple H, the rematch from the previous year. The end of an era that hasn't ended in seven and a half years. <laughs> it's still going. Um, this had probably my favorite false finish of all time. I know we've talked about this, you know, on air, off air. We've talked about mm-hmm. this a lot. The super kick into the pedigree. I know you say he you didn't think he was go- you didn't think he was going to lose there, but I thought that's about as close as we're ever going to get. You get the one, you get the two, and then a kick out. That was a moment, and in a lot of these matches, we don't have a ton of moments yeah. because there's so many matches. Um, but this is a moment that lives on in not only WrestleMania history, but in Hell in a Cell matches. Well, the match makes sense because as we went through the 16 Hell in a Cell matches to date before this one. They featured Triple H and The Undertaker, but never against each other. I mean, it's funny to think about that. Most of these matches featured either one of them. In fact, I'm looking back at it. uh, I'm trying to find one that didn't feature either guy. And the answer is, I can't. Like, literally, every Hell in a Cell match we just talked about either featured The Undertaker or Triple H. I can't find one. 
Brock Lesnar, Undertaker, Triple H, Jericho, Mankind Keen from uh, a random from Raw's a random war. Raw. It's the only one. They all featured the Undertaker or Triple H. How about that? So I guess it made sense that they would finally face each other. It's true. Literally every Hell in a Cell featured the Undertaker or Triple H. So why not have them fight each other? Triple H can't let Undertaker have a stupid match. <laughs> no, I know. I want you to have a sledgehammer. Your special match will be sledgehammer on a pole. <laughs> sledgehammer on top of a ladder. Sledgehammer uh, in, a tr- in a pirate's trunk thing with gold coins. And- it, it was... It was a great false finish. The problem was I never thought The Undertaker was going to job to Triple H at WrestleMania. I never thought Triple H was going to be the guy to end the streak. As much as we mock Triple H always winning and not putting guys over, that was never going to happen. You see the look on my face right now? You don't believe me. No, no, no. I believe that Triple H would end anything. He would end Santa Claus's <laughs> reign of Christmas if he could. <laughs> Taker was never letting that happen. Ugh. And let's get to the last one that we've had that's not a part of a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Number 18, WrestleMania 32, The Undertaker against Shane McMahon. In, in Let's say in 10 years, and you're, you're headlining WrestleMania. You're not in the main event match because you know, you're not a main eventer. Sure. But you are in a Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania. Do you bring Jed out and have him do the Shane McMahon dance with you? <laughs> yes. I can't decide if that's a cool moment or not. Like uh, going into hell in a cell, oh, the kid, facing yeah. the Undertaker, bringing you, your three sons with you. This, this match shouldn't have happened. I mean, we all know it. There's no way Shane McMahon should have been fighting the Undertaker at a WrestleMania in a hell in a cell or in a steel cage or in a, any kind of match. This was a desperate attempt by the WWE to save a WrestleMania that was riddled with injuries. And so... I don't even know what to say about it. I mean, did Shane take some big bumps? Yeah. Was it entertaining? Sure, it was entertaining. But I don't know. I mean, it just, again, it cheapens what The Undertaker and what the Hell in a Cell match is, that you're taking Shane McMahon, who hadn't been on WWE TV in a very long time, is not a professional wrestler, even though they treat him like one. I, I just never liked the idea of this even being a match. I can't disagree with it, especially storyline-wise. He lost the match. He doesn't get control of either show. And then he gets control of, what, Raw or SmackDown. I forget which, which show. Um, Ended it, up getting SmackDown. It yeah. was a 30-minute match. Did it need to be a 30-minute match? No. Again, like you said, it was entertaining. Uh, I will watch people jump off of 20-foot high things, wrestling-related or, or not. Um, but again, glorified. Well, here, here's my take on Shane McMahon. Ever since that King of the Ring 2001 match against uh, Kurt Angle, right? I, I, listen, is he a, a great professional wrestler? No, but I I have a ton of respect for the dude. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff that I would never do. Right. So I certainly respect the heck out of him. But should he be competing against probably one of the t- three greatest professional wrestlers of all time? No, probably not. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, our last clip from when we attempted to do the Hell in the Cell retrospective from City Field. We're talking wrestling. Pete Alonzo's up, and then he hits his 51st home run of the season. I'm going to give you our next Hell in a Cell is, in my opinion, the worst. Pete Alonzo! Home run of the season. Alonzo 
I don't know what I was trying to say. I was very excited. I mean, you were too. He hit his 51st home run of the year, right? We don't get the, we don't get fun stuff like that. That was pretty crazy. That was fun. That is the kind of unbiased. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, it, it does tell you that maybe the, there should be a podcast while watching a game because you could see our uh, our. That's even more than an instant reaction. That's a reaction as it's happening. You know, we're very excited. It's something I've been wanting to do for years, but the reason why I've never done it really or really released it is there's so much noise. Yeah, well, you can hear it. Every at bat between innings, uh, let's, you know, the, the, the charge or whatever, uh, <laughs> there's got to be a place in the building where you can hear the crowd noise, right. but not all the nonsense. If that place exists, that's a perfect place to do a podcast. Yeah, it was, it was a nice try. I think we made it a gallant effort out of it. We made the best of it. We've given you the clips. So if you had listened to one of my previous podcasts and heard that we were going to attempt to do this, and you said, hey, you got you to gotta give me Hell on a Cell while out of Met game, at least we sort of gave you Hell on a Cell while out of Met game. Now, there is a real Hell on a Cell pay-per-view, the Hell on a Cell 2019 pay-per-view. It's coming up on Sunday, October 6th, and I'll have an instant reaction, usually about 25 minutes or a half hour after the big event is over. Also next week on Wednesday the 9th, I'll be releasing the Mets regular season in review podcast, which I look forward to, the NBA prediction podcast coming up this month, and... I know the one, Dennis, you'll be glued to, the Brooklyn Nets Roundtable Season Preview, baby. Unsubscribe. Oh, come on. <laughs> but thank you for joining me for this Hell in the Cell retrospective. You did a marvelous job. You can listen to Dennis's podcast. Dennis has a podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter, at Show. Oh, I'm impressed. Thank you, brother. You're welcome, at Show. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast.